Hi everybody, it's Margo here. Before we start this week's episode, we wanted to tell you some big news. We're relaunching our Patreon! Woo! Everything's gonna be great. Um, so it's already up, fully launched, all our new tiers are out, and um, anyone who signs up before June 1st when our new season starts will get an exclusive handwritten thank you postcard from us, plus access to our secret Discord. Um, which is, we'll have all of our extra book club fun stuff on it. Um, our Patreon, our patrons will also get uh, bi-weekly live streams, exclusive merch, exclusive bonus content, AMAs, and access to the main Bobby Yaga Discord. So we're super, super excited about it. We really hope that you guys join um, the new community we're really trying to build um, and help support the pod in its next new, brighter, bigger, bolder, everything season. Thanks so much. Hello, and welcome to the Baba Yaga Project. The Baba Yaga Project is a podcast and blog that focuses on the ritualized year, folklore, and history, lovingly researched and recorded by your hosts, Margot and Sonia. Hi, my name is Margot, and I have a master's degree in American history with a focus on indigenous studies. And I'm Sonia, and I'm doing a PhD in medieval history. Welcome to our very last episode of season one. Woo! We did it! We did it. We got through a year. I know that, you know, well, we we made it through a whole year. There were not 52 episodes, but we did make it through a whole year. Whole year. In quarantine. Right? Amazing. So for this last episode, we kind of just want to do a year in review. Talk about the big themes, big ideas, what we learned, what this is all about. Yeah. And maybe a little bit about what next year will bring. Woo! All right. So let's get started. Yeah. So, so obviously, the biggest one is this idea of seasonality and the passage of time and how we mark the passage of time. And this year has been all about that. We started out with the summer solstice and talking about, you know, all the rituals and community aspects around that and then worked our way through the summer into the fall through the winter into the spring and now we are back at almost summertime again and i think you know kind of the big takeaway we've seen from this year is there there is a time for everything like every day does not have to be the exact same and we're not meant to be these like non-stop robotic working machines where it's just like every day you wake up and you do the same thing and it just like everything just repeats over and over and over again the same way like yeah there's going to be times where you know things are busier versus times when things are going to be a little more relaxed there's times to celebrate and as we talked about in our episodes surrounding funerals and death you know, there are also times to step back, feel the sadness, feel the grief that I think a lot of us are feeling. Mm. 
this year. And, you know, I think there is something to be said, especially with a year like what we've had about how you can meaningfully mark the passage of time, especially given that most of our normal activities were suspended. Um, And, you know, I hope that in some small way, I don't know, I have found it helpful to try, you know, cooking with things that are in season and getting outside and, you know, really leaning into these like holidays because it, it feels like it's at least a a milestone, a marker of, okay, we've, we've, we're doing something, we're accomplishing things. We are, you know, participating in this wider life than just, you know, what's going on in your apartment. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I think that one of the other like major themes that we've been circling around that sort of ties into a lot of smaller things is this idea that um, all of these rituals and things that we've been talking about really focus on like living in community, living collectively. Um, and that, you know, before 19th century industrialism and colonialism, like most people lived very community-based lives. Um, and I think like, by putting all of these into historical context, we could see how in Europe there was that slow move away from community toward the individual yeah. as a place of identity. Um, and you can see like sort of financial theory and spirituality kind of moving toward that as well as we like track these ideas. Um, and this really, I think, comes to a head in the 19th century, especially if you get to the middle Victorian period, um, where you have the focus on individual families and on the children in specific families, on the single family home. And that like when we were looking at it, this was really unique and you know, starts existing on a grand scale, like in that period. And it seems to be this sort of unraveling of the social in favor of, of production. Um, if we look at, you know, these sort of broad movements throughout history. Um, and I think that, you know, when we looked at the rituals and holidays that are still being celebrated and the ones that I think we enjoyed the most that have sort of fallen out of favor. Um, Those that have fallen out, I think serve these two purposes of like building a community. Um, And that those also don't have a sort of capitalistic center, right? They don't focus on purchasing things or on gift giving. They're more about being with other people so i think those are like the really seasonal holidays and the rituals that mark entering a community so a lot of the like spring and fall and harvest uh rituals focus on you know courtship or coming of age um all these things where either you're you're entering a community being accepted in the community or changing your role within it um and I just, I found it really telling about our current society model, social model, that a majority of the holidays and rituals that we did hold on to past this sort of like industrial revolution moment 
um, or even earlier when we talked about like the development of private property and stuff was that these holidays really developed like a gift centric model uh, where they focused on capitalism and the nuclear family, like how Christmas has become so sort of like focused on gift giving for children, um, birthdays as well, rather than on interacting with others or interacting with the earth, interacting with your harvest or yeah, it's very much a naming your place within a community. We have kept the holidays and rituals that can be monetized and we have elevated those. And I think especially when we look, you know, even Mm -hmm. at the way that Christmas now is seen as more important, like in the wider culture than Easter, despite the fact that, you know, historically Christmas was like, yeah, that's like a fun Mm -hmm. time, but Easter's the big deal. And it's, you know, it's very much based on this. Well, now Christmas is the one that we really can monetize. Whereas Easter, you know, is, is monetized and, um, you know, it, it's less expensive, basically. So it, it takes on this like lesser yeah. status in, in broader society. And yeah, yeah I think the, the other thing is we, we did think about doing like Mother's Day and Father's Day episodes, but it was just sort of a like, well, here's another instance of like Hallmark um holidays basically where it's like yeah there have been like to be clear there have definitely been times and rituals to honor your parents in the past but like this concept of mother's day and father's day is very deeply rooted in capitalism and in you have to spend money you need to you know, you have to buy the obligatory gifts you need to buy the card and the box of chocolates or the you know, flowers or whatever else you buy for your parents on that day. And it's very much yeah. a, you know, and a, yeah. And, and also very world. much like taking something that, uh, again, like normally would have been more of a community based situation um, and turning it inward to this very, mm-hmm. you know, isolated and very nucleated celebration of well it's your children celebrating you and there's no kind of broader context for that yeah 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 i think that plays really well into like this other half of this theme that i want to talk about which is um that the holidays that i think really stuck with me that i you know that since we've been doing this and talking about it that I've wanted to implement the most into my life are the ones that are marking not just the passage of time like you talked about at the top of the episode but also the celebration of like community labor right so because I think that that can be like unifying right that can create the sense of community so when we look at harvest festivals and lights festivals and spring festivals you know we've made it through a hard time together we've made it through the dark together um and we've worked together Mm -hmm. and together we'll share that bounty um i think that that creates like a concrete connection to the space in which people are living as well as the work that they do together to survive and i was thinking about this because i think that we've dehumanized a lot of the labor that we live off of so like we don't think about who is growing our food 
even really who is working at the shops that are selling us food, yeah. who makes our clothes, um, who weaves our fabric. Like, we don't see it. Whereas, you know, when you were harvesting, you know, growing food together or having these sorts of celebrations, it was literally, I cannot survive without you. And so we are going to, like, celebrate this together. Um, and we've... Sorry. And I just feel like that as a... As a a society, at least in the West, like we've really moved on to celebrating individual achievements. Um, I find that even in like things that could be, you know, larger, like coming of age moments, like commencement ceremonies, where it it really is about like, I did this thing, or we're going to celebrate you because you did this specific thing rather than like, you know, for high school commencement, especially like, there's not any idea about how, you know, there was, like, a collective and community support to raise children and, like, also setting up what your role after being a student would be in the community. There, There isn't that sort of, like, transitional celebration of, like, saying, you know, this is your place with us anymore. Um, and we don't really don't talk about, like, that community-based labor in any way, like, just how many people it takes to raise children or, you know, feed a society. Like it's just yep. very immediate family based, which is nice. Right. I don't think that we should like stop celebrating things with our immediate family, but also like the nuclear family can't live on its own. Like you literally can't, you know, you need trade, you need connection, Everywhere doesn't have salt, for example. Like, just these, like, basic things of, like, continuing to live you can't do with just four people. Yeah, and I, I think just kind of to circle back to, you know, the way you're talking about, like, how we have very much dehumanized labor and dehumanized the people who we rely on the most is really concerning and is really, you know... um <laughs> really really upsetting i mean i think one of the most i mean this has been a year of horrifying things but one of the just like standout anecdotes that i have is reading threads and comments online where there was the whole debate about like masks and if you should wear a mask or not And so many people were saying, well, why can't there be a time that the store is open, Um, you know, whether it's a grocery store or the Walmart or whatever, where, you know, why can't there be a designated time during the day where, you know, shoppers can come in without a mask? And then it'll only be the people who don't want to wear a mask will all be in there together. So, and I mean, just the number of times that people had to reply to these things saying like, you realize there are workers that, in the stores. Yeah, like you realize that there are employees. Yeah, that like those are also human beings. You yeah, fool. the amount of times that I saw <laughs> things like, "Why do I have to and, wear a mask?" There's no one even in this cafe, and it's like, "Who made the coffee for mm-hmm. you?" <laughs> there was no one behind the counter. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, and it's just like I, I find it very disturbing. Like the extent to which people dehumanize the 
people who genuinely are essential workers who like we actually need to keep functioning as a society. And like, if you can dehumanize someone who literally is right in front of you, handing you your coffee or like ringing up your groceries, then I don't know how we can convince people to see like, you know, the, the exploited people they don't see as human beings like the people who are working in sweatshops and who work in like dangerous agricultural situations like outside of the public eye um it's i think it is very much like we need to really uh yeah talk about this this idea there there has been a a very and I think I think this can really be traced back specifically to the industrial revolution and the advent of like factory work, but this idea of what we currently yes. call skilled labor, right? Which is like knowledge based labor, you know, like yeah. conceptual based labor, rather than like the creation of an actual thing. Where, you know, you think about it and you're like, I know I don't know how to grow all of the food that I eat. I don't know how to butcher a chicken. I don't know how to, I mean, so one of these things I do know how to do, like, but for this theoretical person, I don't know how to like sew my clothes. You know, these are all highly skilled things. And yet because somebody is doing them in a industrialized setting, we think of them as not having skill. And also the skill that goes into things like, uh, retail and service work and i have done so much retail and service work in my life and i know how skilled it is because i'm really bad at it (laughs) and also how hard hard those Um, jobs are anyway like think about it i can say with confidence like i have worked as like like i have worked teaching in a university setting and i have worked in retail and i have worked at a summer camp and i can say without a doubt no contest working retail was the hardest it was the hardest because you're dealing with so many moving parts and you're on your feet all day and you have to remember so many different things and juggle so many things in the air and all the while you have like angry customers yelling at you yeah and i feel like i feel like one of the things that I took from this year of looking at these historic practices, like putting these rituals into context, is that the purpose of them was to ensure that everyone who wasn't directly part of that labor, you know, so like, even if you're not out in the fields, you know the amount of labor that went into getting that food to you. So even if you're the lord of the manor or you're, you know the woman of the household and you spend most of your time like spinning and cooking and stuff you know the labor that went into getting that food out of the field and you know that you have to celebrate that work with those people you know it's just it's it's the 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 celebration sort of puts the amount of labor directly in front of you and we don't we try and distance ourselves so much at least in like if you're not already in like one of these 
like classes, right? You know, I definitely grew up in like yeah. the professional managerial class. So like I have worked retail and these things before, but like growing up, you know, I didn't know people who were, yeah. you know, seasonal farm workers or stuff like that. So it's, it's very hidden from you if you, yeah, if you're not directly in it. And I think that that, yeah, I think that's, is a serious problem. And I think that it's affecting. Oh the, yeah. It's very much affecting the labor well. movement. Like I think that's another big thing that we see in so many of these older celebrations, especially is this, you know, mixing of classes, which we really don't see today. Like you are like, we are very, yeah. very separated by, you know, socioeconomic status, by our class distinctions. And it, there really isn't a blurring of that line very, very often in modern day society as compared to, you know, yeah, if you're in a feudal society, like the Lord of the Manor does have to interact with like even the poorest peasant at these events. Like you can't just hole up in your castle and be like, I'm just never going to interact with anyone. <laughs> much later yeah not until yeah exactly those people were working and then for you wages. can shuffle them away and and you could like build up a fence and put everybody up on you know mount royal exactly and not exactly <laughs> reference but you know i mean it, it, moment there but all the rich people then, in Montreal used to live on top of a mountain. So they could literally the look down the, the, the mountain and go, oh, look at those boars <laughs> in their shacks. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway. Yeah. But I think that plays really well into what I think we've learned this year. And I year. think it... Uh, which I think for me was just more, even more concretely yes. that capitalism I think before is bad. we jump on to what we've learned, though, we have one more big theme to talk about, which is our shared narratives oh, and really? shared experiences. Um, you know, I, I think that's the other. Yeah. Yeah. Because also we have, you know, <laughs> these ways that we construct meaning in our lives, whether that is through our rituals, mm -hmm. through our traditions, through the folklore that we share, through the stories we tell each other. And, you know, that can be something as ancient as celebrating the summer and winter solstice, or it can be something new like Earth Day. You know, it's still, we have this shared narrative yeah. around here is a thing we celebrate, here is why we mm -hmm. celebrate, or here's a, a, a tradition that we keep up, and this is why we do it. And that is what creates this meaning in our lives is having these collective stories that we tell yeah. ourselves. And I think it's been, again, really interesting, at least to me, to see how the types of stories we tell ourselves have changed over time, where, again, we go from, yeah. you know, uh, as we talk about this shared narrative of, okay, we are going to celebrate the harvest because so much work went into this and we've all put in so much effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, we it's are happy because we can survive. survive by working together versus modern celebrations, which tend to follow a narrative of being much more individual focused and individual based, like even something like, 
you know, a, a wedding, like how we talked about before, that this used to be a yeah. much bigger community thing. It was seen as a, a celebration for not only the bride and groom, but for everyone in their life and the broader community versus, you know, yeah. in the modern world, we do see it more as like, it's my special day. It's it's like my day to be a princess, which yeah. like, you know, I'm not saying like, no, no wearing a fancy dress and having a nice time. But like, you know, just the way we think about these milestones is very different. And now we can go on to what we have learned. Part one, capitalism is inherently destructive and unsustainable. I, I mean that like not, here's the thing when people say it's unsustainable, like, you know, it's used as this like buzzword and it's like, no, there is like, yeah, like you Literally cannot no sustain, sustain constant growth. <laughs> you eventually run out of resources and you run out of like, people to sell things to like this is not something that can keep yeah nothing can grow infinitely and that is essentially the economic system we are in right now where you know just keeping a nice like steady situation is not good enough it needs constant growth yeah i think also for for this point i want to put in parentheses uh i hate the victorians even more than I did to start yeah. with. <laughs> yeah, I went into this being like, wow, <laughs> awful people. And now I mean, I'm just like, wow, even worse. Yeah. Yeah, again, like, as we always have to clarify, like, yeah, I don't no. wish I lived in the past or anything like that. But also, like, if mm. I had to pick the worst time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, the thing is people... <laughs> people too much assume that they would be like like oh yes like in the victorian era i would be like a fancy lady wearing a fancy dress and drinking tea and i'm like statistically no uh you would be like the yeah exactly <laughs> you would be a child laborer in a factory or losing like your fingers a to a child who's been no. sent into the coal mines to like because your tiny body can fit in the in the mine shafts better um yeah yeah and then you die of black yeah like yeah no definitely like i'm not saying (laughs) that being a feudal peasant was great but it was it was not it was um but it was still better than being a victorian child laborer which is really saying something when you're like yeah feudalism was better (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But oh. I, I think, like, in fact, yeah. you know, in, in seriousness, consumerism will kill us all. And um, <laughs> this endless cycle of we need to produce more and more and more and more and more, and we need to buy more, and we need to consume more, and we need to produce more, and then throw it away so we can consume more. It, it's, it, it ain't it, chief. Like, it's not going to work. Yeah. We're already running out of stuff there was already like an attempt to coup yeah. Bolivia for lithium like <laughs> we're having a hard time yeah um and i i do think like looking at the way that we've talked about yeah. things this year you know looking to the past can give us a lot of knowledge about okay how do you eat and farm and 
construct clothing and dress yourself and build structures in ways that are sustainable, in ways that are going to last. And when they are, you know, no longer usable can biodegrade. Like we've talked a lot about clothing where it's like, yeah, back in the day, clothing is made out of natural fibers. You would be very, you know, it was labor intensive. It was, you know, time consuming. So yeah, like you would take care of those clothes and once, yeah, you would mend them, you would alter Mm -hmm. them, you know, you would hand them down and only when they were like completely not wearable anymore that even then they're cut up into rags or bandages or like used in these other ways. And then finally, when that is not usable, then you put it in like the compost and because it's all like linen and wool it just degrades like Mm -hmm. and and it's fine and that's you know a much more sustainable way of living than our current situation of fast fashion where you know what is it on average a garment is worn like five times before it gets thrown in the trash yeah and it exists exclusively like, the only way that that can exist is yeah. by, is through exploitation. So, I mean, we talked about this before when we were talking about Earth Day, where, like, sustainability and, like, ethical labor practices are Coin. two sides of yeah. the same. And, I mean, Coin. to be clear, I don't think right? that... Where, if you're exploiting workers, yeah. they can't buy heritage items. And if you're not buying heritage items, then like, yeah, those things are unsustainable. And and it's for people to live sustainably. They have exactly. To have and I think it's also wage. that like, that is not to say like, ah, yes, let's throw out all machinery and everyone go back to hand spinning your wool. Like, no, you can still like, I think we can definitely keep our labor-saving devices, but employ them in a more sustainable manner. Oh yeah, we got to keep the internet. And the internet. I I personally <laughs> need the internet for many things. Um, yeah. but you know, even things like I will say, I think it is. I I do think that the like, you know, machines that weave and spin fabric. Like, that spin thread and that make the fabric great. 10 out of 10. I just think that, you know, we should maybe not be making fabric out of plastic and should also pay the people who are making that, like, a good wage so they can live. I think, you know, situations like... I, I will even say, I think the IKEA model is brilliant because you can ship furniture and, like, you put it together and it's fine. But maybe it should just be made out of, like wood and metal instead of like sawdust glued together yeah like i think that we can definitely keep the good innovations we've had where it's like yeah that's absolutely brilliant that you can ship like a crazy number of tables because they're all disassembled but maybe make the tables out of something sustainable yeah all right next up also, you know, we need other people to live. Yes. And as as we've talked about already in this episode, the way that we exploit people, the way that this system 
treats people as disposable mm-hmm. really it, it alienates us from our communities and it leaves us in these very isolated situations yeah. and from the like i mean to get all like super marks about it like from the actual value of the things that we are purchasing you know like what is yeah. my labor going toward what does my work mean and what does the work of others that i am like paying for mean yeah um, it just i think it devalues everything yeah and i think it's very much a it does condition you to see other people as just cogs in the machine as uh, again i think it does lead to a lot of very dangerous ways of thinking about people as and and you know also these ideas of being constantly in competition with everyone around you like this idea of like refugees are going to come over and steal my job like no that's not how that that's not how anything works there's not like a finite number of jobs and then once they're gone they're gone like no we've just chosen to set up our lives in such a way that like yeah a certain percentage of the population has to be kept unemployed and starving and dying and unhoused yeah love it because otherwise there'd be no threat to keep us all in our positions yeah i i think about this a lot when people talk about like oh, overpopulation, we don't have enough, there's no way to feed everybody on the planet. I'm like, we throw away so much food because of the system, because of the agricultural system that we've developed, the industrialized agricultural system. Also, if we look at consuming, it's literally the top richest 10% of people on the planet consume 50% of the world's resources. And the bottom 50%, like the poorest 50% of people, consume 10% of the world's resources. Overpopulation is just eco-fascism. It is literally a fascist myth to get you to think that it's poor people who are in overwhelmingly exploited countries and colonized countries that are the problem when, no, (laughs) that is not it at all. And I I think there is just in general we to go on to our our final what we yeah, learned. Yeah, I think point. that this final point is really like a way we can combat that. Yeah, like the idea that we need meaning in life beyond I have to get more stuff and I need more money and a better job and I need to hustle and I need to grind and I need a bigger house, mm-hmm. another car, I need a better car, I need all these material items to make me happy and once i have acquired like the house and the car and the job and the money then that will make me happy and we're seeing that is not the case um at all and it's actually really damaging both to each other to the environment and ultimately to ourselves and when when i say finding meaning in life Uh, That doesn't necessarily have to be through philosophy or spirituality or religion. Like, 
that can be part of it. But even outside of that, you can find meaning in your community in finding joy in celebrations in basically whatever you hold like quote unquote sacred, right? Like this idea of having meaning in your life beyond the, you know, consumerism dictated script. And I I think that is something that's, that that we've really lost in a lot of ways. But now we can talk about moving forward and what what we can do to apply what we've learned in our lives in yeah, our communities so i like really think that this is like a a major point of the the mission of this project is like how yes. can we study how can our study of the past influence the future we want to build and like what is the thing that you learn studying history is that like you can change things. The future doesn't have to be the same as the present. It doesn't have to be the same as the past. People are constantly changing things. Um, And just because we've been doing something some way for the past 200 years, right. Just because we've been celebrating Christmas or not celebrating harvest festivals or doing whatever for the past 200 years, like doesn't mean that we have to keep doing it that way. Like once you've looked at how something existed throughout multiple parts, like stages of history, like you can you can change that but it has to be like as a as thing. ursula as ursula le guin <laughs> said you know capitalism seems like it is you know this i'm misquoting i'm going to paraphrase here but you know it seems like this thing that is just so powerful mm-hmm. and so you know ingrained that nothing could ever overcome it But then again, so did the divine right of kings. And we all more or less collectively said, no (laughs) thanks. We don't need a divine right monarchy. Or, you know, at the very least, it's going to be like a constitutional monarchy situation or whatever, you know. (sighs) Abolish the monarchy. It's fine. (laughs) We're trying. But, you know, I mean, I I think we, I, I think it is good to put it into this historical perspective of like yeah the things that we take for granted are new like in the grand scheme of things they are very very new and we can change them they've been changing forever they're always forever and we can take control nothing is static change and i would say the first thing to take control of that change is to build your own community you know, connect with your friends, with your family, of course, but maybe reach out to people you haven't seen in a while, old friends, old acquaintances, like the pandemic yeah. especially has made that Get important. To know your neighbors. But yeah, join clubs in your neighborhood, join associations, get involved. And then, you know, in a more political sense, really, I would also say, if you can, join yep. a union. The IWW will take, uh, like, you can essentially, I think, basically yeah, anybody can join the IWW. Not, um, as long as you're a worker, as long as you don't own yeah. stuff. Yeah, and by that, we don't mean own stuff as in, like, I have my own toothbrush. We the mean, like, production. you don't, <laughs> yeah, like, do you own a factory? No, you can probably join yeah. the IWW. 
You can get involved in mutual aid in your neighborhood. You can join up with things like Food Not Bombs, which is a really great organization. They are anarchist. They take the well, they like take the donations mm-hmm. from grocery stores and other places where the food is going to yep. be thrown out. And instead, they cook that food into vegetarian and vegan meals, and anyone in the community is able to go and get fed. And, you know, their whole mission is protesting yeah. war um, and saying, you know, also everyone deserves to eat. Yeah. But if there's not a local chapter, look at starting a local chapter or volunteer at your soup kitchen. Or at a food pantry. There are so many ways to help build community where you are. Um, Just down the street from me, um, there are people the other day we saw setting up like a community fridge, like, and a community pantry just out on the, you know, on, on the street. And it's like little things like that to help build that community in, you know, where you are. And, you know, online communities count, too. If you can't get out of the house, like, that doesn't mean that you can't participate, especially nowadays with, like, Zoom and online meetings. Like, there's so many ways that you can get involved with political activism, with political groups, with, you know, just different ways of building up these networks of support for each other. Because, you know, I mean, not to get too philosophical about it, but... It, it can feel really, and, and like, I don't know, kind of cheesy, but like, it can feel like the world is <clears throat> so big and people are so bad and so mean and there's so much evil, horrible things happening and there's nothing you can do about it. But, you know, there's, there is something that you can do yeah. where you are. There's always something to be done where you are and yeah no one individual person can change everything and fix everything but you know that also doesn't mean that we can't work together and do amazing things on to our (laughs) next point i would say try out some of the traditional skills and old-timey skills we've talked about on this channel yeah, all sorts of. Do you want to try? All sorts of skills: the the you rituals, go. the celebrations, just sort of reframing how we think about time and what has value. Yeah, I mean, again, there obviously there's still a pandemic on. We are not advocating anyone go out in person yeah. to, you know get their germs all over each other but you know there's stuff you can do at home try baking your own bread try cooking seasonally maybe try your hand at gardening or sewing or knitting and you know whatever whatever other things that you would like to try your hand at building up these skill sets i mean it's good for you it's good for the environment they make nice (laughs) gifts for other people you can also teach other people. You can do stuff yeah. together. It's a great way to do, to, you know, have that kind of connection both to the past and to the people yeah. around you. 
And, uh, I mean, and we can share real quick, like, the things that we are doing as the Babiaga Project going forward. Um, like, how are we taking what we've learned from this season and, like, what are we doing with it? Uh, and I, I think we can take this little moment to, to pitch our next season. <laughs> because coming to <laughs> yes, you can. on June 1st um, is the second season of the Babiaga Project where we are looking at the ritualized life. So we're taking the ideas from the first season, the ritualized year, and sort of expanding the scope to a whole life. And I think our our reasoning behind this is like we really want idea want to dive into the ideas around how identity is created, how we move through life with other people, and how societal expectations can influence who we are, um, who, who, like, who we welcome into our community, who we don't, how we deal with people who don't necessarily fit into those expectations, and what life in the future can look like. And I think to really, like, pitch the next season and why we want you guys to join in with us is like that our big idea for this project and for our lives is like why why do we do the things that we do every year why do we have these ex certain expectations for the phases of our lives and and what success means and what a well-lived life looks like and should we keep doing those things right so like i think this is one of the major drives of historical research is is why is this thing the way that it is now um looking back into the past and like looking at how a practice has developed um puts them into a historical context so we can understand where our current ideas come from and whether or not they're serving us in a meaningful way um, and in order to do this i think this kind of research and thought really has to be community-based um, which is why the future of the project is going to be about all of us and our listeners. Right? Exactly. Yeah, it's very much that. We're so excited for season two. There's going to be a Discord and a mm -hmm. book club. And there's going to be live streams and just more opportunities for us to connect with you guys, for you guys to connect with Forms each other. On our website. And it's going to be dope. We're just really excited. <laughs> and yeah, the ritual life. <clears throat> we are going to be going through every life stage you can think of from rituals and folklore and ideas surrounding like conception and pregnancy and childbirth through childhood, through youth and young adulthood and what it means to be a young person and how that changes over time and what what is the marker of becoming yeah. an adult when does a person officially become an adult when do they become you know seen as old and what does being old mean in different yeah. societies you know are you wise and revered you know yeah revered and seen as as a source of of knowledge for your community or are you disparaged like how does this happen over time right through till you know, we talk about funerals and grieving and beliefs about the afterlife. So we're really, we're going big yeah. with this, the entire ritual yeah. life. And we really hope that you all stick around for it because we're very excited about yeah. this next season. I think also like the, the answers to these massive questions are a conversation. So we can't yes. 
do the next season by ourselves. We need a community to dive into this research with us. Yeah, and we're really excited to, you know, be able to come at this as a community and build this community yeah. online, basically. All right, and I guess just thank you to everyone who has stuck around. Thank you for sticking with us. There's definitely been some some ups and downs in this first year, some pauses in production, some technical difficulties, but you've you've made it through. And we really appreciate it. And just thank you for coming with us on this journey through the ritual and year. And in the next couple of weeks, make sure that you follow us on all of our social media platforms um, because there's going to be some really cool announcements about how we're doing um, a lot of the pieces that we're adding to the project, how that's going to work, um, how you can be a part of it. That's all going to be on our social and our website. and. Yeah, we'll keep you guys informed. And we'll see you on June 1st, June 1st for the next season. Ooh. So goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Bapiaga Project. And as always, thank you to all our patrons for making this project possible. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and our website for the most up-to-date happenings in the project. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon. It'll really help us continue the project and expand in some really exciting ways. And there's Patreon-exclusive merch! Thanks again, and we'll see you next week!